Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Lessons of a psychologist. If you've ever wondered what the life of a psychologist looks like, how I started and where I ended up, you're in the right place. The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the What Is Eating You podcast. It is currently 6.54 p.m. and I never work this late, but I wanted to record this episode so you had an episode to listen to in the morning. So go me, working late for the people. Now, I wanted to do this episode because today is actually the third year birthday of my business. Now, I do run an online psychology private practice, but I don't talk about it on social media. I don't share about it on social media because it is a completely separate business to what I do on social media. But I'll share a little bit about it because I really haven't taken a step back. I really haven't acknowledged what I have accomplished, what I have achieved. And to me, it's almost like I feel it's my side hustle, but it really isn't. So I want to share lessons I've learned along the way on my journey. I get asked all the time, what's a day in the life like of being a psychologist? And I did recently record this with Channel 31, so that will be available. But I just got an Instagram message, which I thought I would share. It was really good. So I received this message that said, Hi, Steph, I'm coming to the end of my third year of psych and I'm deciding whether to do honours or to do masters of psychological practice, which includes a fourth year. So just for context, to become a psychologist, you need a minimum of six years study, four years and then two years, which could be internship and its placements. So your first three years is your undergrad bachelor degree, then your fourth year is your honours and then you do it through uni where you do a fifth year and then you do an internship year where you do a placement. This person said, I'm just really unsure on what to do. I guess I'm asking, what does your daily week look like as a psychologist? Do you have to constantly write reports and contribute to research or do you do more client-based things? 
Also, do you know anything about the master of psychological practice as opposed to doing my honors year? I'm interested in working with youth that are at risk and I really like the hands-on types of things. I'm wondering if there is another degree that would suit me better like social work or counseling. I've just tried hard to decide and I followed your page for a while and what you do seems really enjoyable and also making a huge difference. I also see that you failed to get into honors and masters in your last post. How did you become a psych after doing this? And did you do a bridging course? Thank you. All right. Now my journey may not look like your journey and that's absolutely okay. So what I did was I studied at Swinburne University in Melbourne. Shout out Swinney. Love your work. And I did my bachelor there. And then I also did my honors year there. I felt as though I was so young and I had no idea. I didn't really have many uni friends. I didn't really get uni. I feel that university was such a big jump and you're just expected to know what to do. Similar to how high school felt like a really big jump. And then your honors is where you pick a subject and you do some research and you write out a thesis. So for me, I did body dysmorphic disorder because I was interested in that space. Then after that, you apply to do a master's. And when I say I didn't get in, so when I first applied for honors, my marks weren't the best. They weren't bad, but sorry, blah, blah, blah. I just, I was like, okay, cool. I didn't get in. What do I do about it? How do I get in? It never once dawned on me to think, oh my God, I didn't get in. It's over. I just thought, okay, what do I do? What's the next step? I've never once thought that someone else's decision is my destiny. And that's lesson one is persist no matter what. If you want to become something or someone or pursue a goal or a dream, don't let anyone else decide what that is. And when that timeline ends for you, you decide when that timeline ends for you. So I actually repeated a few subjects in my honors. I went back and I did some subjects and I learned so much. And I had this amazing teacher. He was so encouraging. And I just believe teachers can have such a significant impact. Even my psychology teacher in high school, I'll never forget her. Shout out, miss. And she really just made the subject fun and really believed in me. And same with this other teacher. He was just so supportive. He knew what my goal was. And I told him at the start of the year, I'm like, listen, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm here for. Like I need to slay. So yeah, he helped me on the process. So I just repeated subjects. I got higher marks. And then when I applied for honors, I just submitted those new marks, which made me look like super smart and super capable because, you know, it really is about your marks. And I got into honors straight away and they can see I repeated subjects like this girl's committed, let her in. So it worked. And then same with masters. I applied everywhere. I applied in Ballarat. I applied in Sydney. I just, it was just a thing. You just applied everywhere. I remember all, I think I spent more money on envelopes than that degree, but I bought all these envelopes and postage. And I wrote this letter about how I should get get into masters and all this stuff. I would totally use chat GBT if I was doing it now, but nevertheless, I got rejected and I thought, okay, cool what am I going to do? Now I knew that master's was really about experience. So I thought I'm going to get experience. And I think at the time I was already with Lifeline, but I'd done Lifeline training. It is amazing. If you want to get a feel of psychological work and working with clients and get really good training, Lifeline is incredible. The training is paid. You do have to pay for it, 
and it is very extensive. And then it's obviously volunteer work. And then I got another volunteer job working with at-risk youth. So I would just do activities um, with a young girl that was paired with me and she had quite a traumatic situation. Mother tried to take her life. Um, she was struggling a bit in school, et cetera. So I would just take her to do fun stuff and we'd hang out. So it was kind of like a big sister program. And as you do more and more experience and you build that resume, obviously that looks good. You've put a lot of time into it and I got in. Yay. Happy days. So I think if you really want something, persist and just go for it. And that is how I did it. Then I became a psychologist in 2016, worked for a really long time and went back and did what is called the clinical master's post-registration. So this is a course they brought back. It was a bridging course where already registered psychologists who have two years experience can then go on to do one year of coursework. And then you work for two years as a clinical psychology registrar. And then once you accumulate your hours and your supervision, then you become a clinical psychologist, which is the path I'm on now. I should by this time next year, have the title probably in March. So that's what I'm working towards. Now, to answer this person's question, what does the life look like in your world as a psychologist? I want to put a disclaimer. My life is very different to a typical psychologist and it always has been. Not to say that you can't make it like this, but I want to give you a little journey. I want to take you down memory lane and show you what my life looked like. My first job as a psychologist, I worked for one of the biggest organizations in Australia. And basically they had psychologists everywhere. And I got my first gig in Headspace. You know, I was working with youth age 12 to 25, and it was an amazing learning experience. I wasn't getting much money at all because it was all bulk build, but I did not care about the money. I'm like, I want experience. I want everything, you know, I would go in and sit in on psychiatric meetings where I didn't get paid. I would go in on care team meetings where I didn't get paid. I would attend trainings. I would do everything because I wanted to learn and become the best at what I did. And I did. I learned so much in all those meetings and people were shocked. They're like, oh my God, like she's attending everything. She's coming to this. And I made myself such a valuable part of the team there. And to be honest, sometimes I feel like a bit of an old fart because when I see provisionals coming out these days and good on them, they've got a lot of confidence, uh, but it's very different to back in my day. I, you know, I used to drive two and a half hours to a placement and I lost my license at one point and I was getting a train to Sunshine, to Ardia Park because I couldn't drive. But I thought, this is amazing. I'm going to study for the national psychology exam. So every challenge I had, I turned into an opportunity. And this is what I say to people, turn your car into a university. When you listen to something to do with your clients, you log those hours. They're client-related hours. This is for my provisional psychologists. But I didn't mention I'm also a board-approved supervisor, so I supervise psychologists. And the journey wasn't easy. It was challenging. But my message here is nowadays there's been a shift. There's, you know, people are expecting certain things when they first graduated, certain percentages, and that's great aim high, aim for the stars. But back in my day, an unpaid placement was a very common thing. Whereas now it's, you know, seen as barbaric to do an unpaid placement. I did a stitch on TikTok of a 
a student who was talking about it and I gave some good solutions and answers, but apparently that made me um, privileged and I had my parents' money. Anyways, that's another episode if you want to hear that rant of the week. Back to the story. My life back then, I was working at Headspace and I was smashing through clients. I was seeing eight, nine people a day, but they were short sessions. It was 45 minute sessions. They were adolescents. So it wasn't particularly intense. And the admin were just booking people in and booking people in and booking people in. And I just thought it was normal. I was like, okay, let's go with it. And everyone at Headspace was like, girl, you're going to die. Like, are you okay there? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, you know, my coffee, I'm like, this is what I was born to do. Like totally. And I would get really tired by the end of the week. And I was there, I think it started with three days a week. And I thought, is this normal? Like you meant to work three days, but it was private practice. So usually people will do a combination of private practice and then they might have a salary role, but I was working as a subcontractor, which means you're paid by each client. So if a client doesn't show up, then you're not paid. And I wasn't doing assessments. So I wasn't really writing reports. Unless you're in a different role that requires report writing, that's when you'd write reports. So to answer this person's question, if you're in assessments, if you're doing cognitive assessments, you know, assessing autism, ADHD, et cetera, you are going to write reports. But if you're in private practice and you're just working with, you know, anxiety, depression, et cetera, you're probably not going to write reports unless you're working with a TAC or work cover, et cetera. So you can decide if you want to write reports. Psychology is amazing. There's so many avenues that you can go through. And what I really loved about this big company I was working with was they had so much opportunity and I would always put my hand up. They're like, Hey Steph, want to be an on-site trauma clinician? I'm like, okay. Hey Steph, want to work at this doctor's clinic in Bandura? Sure. I'll do it. And I was just always building, building, building. And I'm very grateful to how much I learned at this big company. So then I started to become an on-site trauma clinician. And this was one of my favorite, favorite things to do. Basically a critical incident would happen in the workplace and you've all probably heard of EAP. So it stands for employee, employee assistance program. So many workplaces have a program where their staff can get counseling. So McDonald's has an EAP program where staff can get free counseling or um, ANZ or different organizations. And then part of that service is that they can call a psychologist out to a workplace where a critical incident has happened. So I would literally be sitting at home and my phone will ring or I'd get a text, Steph, something has happened in uh, Clifton Hill. It's at a primary school. Can you be there? I don't know much about the situation. Apparently a student attempted to take their life and the teachers are really distressed. That's literally it. You wouldn't get much information. You'd have to get down there as soon as possible. Chuck, it was like you were uh, Superman. You put your cape on, you get in your car, you pull yourself together. You don't know what you're going into. Half the time, the address is like half given to you. You'd, and I'm sure it's better now, but this is what it was like. You'd rock up there and you'd have to be really careful. Who am I speaking to? Who am I? Some people didn't know you were there. Some people didn't know there was an incident. Sometimes you were the one to break the news. It just really varied. Or Steph, can you get down to this jewelry shop? There's been a robbery. The staff are really distressed. They need someone. So you'd go down there, you do psychological first aid. 
So you'd make sure everyone was safe. You'd explain, uh, you know, a trauma response or what they'd been experiencing. And then you'd sit and you'd do one-on-ones in a room if people wanted to talk to you one-on-one about the critical incident trauma. I'll never forget this part of my life. It was amazing. It was so interesting. I didn't know where I'd be going. I didn't know who I'd be meeting. I didn't know what the situation was. And to some people, this sounds like a nightmare, but it was so interesting. I would go to biscuit factories and see these like huge biscuit machines. And I would just meet different people, different walks of life. Like I would go out at midnight sometimes to a a certain destination where something really, really messed up happened. Like uni students one of their friends would try to take their life and it gets really graphic. So I'm just mindful of what I, what I would say. And just to be able to be there and support these people, stuff you saw on the news, right? There was a shooting at Love Machine in Melbourne. I went down to the hospital where that happened and debriefed the nurses. And I can obviously speak about this now because time has passed, et cetera. Things you see on the news, big accidents, big car crashes where Uh, drugs and alcohol were involved. So you'd speak to the workplace, you'd give them skills, give them education. And I also would run presentations. What I love, so I'd go into big corporate banks and run presentations on mindfulness or recognizing mental health in the workplace or educating people on, you know, cultural competence, whatever it was. And that's why I love this organization because they gave me so much variety, so much opportunity. I learned how the whole psychology system works and it was super interesting. And what ended up happening was I became the clinical manager of the company. Never done that before, but I was looking for more. I'm always looking for that next level. And I became a clinical manager and then all of a sudden I was managing Psychologists Australia wide. So they would call me with an ethical concern. They would call me if there was any issues clinically with clients, etc. And I learned so much. And I learned a lot about ethics, about the law, legal system, and yeah, just dealing with different complaints, upper complaints about psychologists, etc. And yeah, it was awesome. I learned so much. I grew so much as a person and I built a lot of systems in the company. I developed a provisional psychologist program because I was so passionate about psychologists getting an experience that met their needs and met their competencies because there are so many, there were so many crappy placements back in my day. I felt so bad for my fellow peers because they weren't getting their hours or they had really shoddy placements. And I'm just thinking I could create something amazing. And I did, and it was Australia wide. So I would onboard provisional psychologists around Australia, train them, coach them, bring them up, put them out in the workplace, mentor them, guide them. I loved it. I built an online portal and it sounds like a lot and I'm talking myself up, but I just sort of, I had a a boss at the time that really believed in me and really just said, go for it. Like whatever you think, just, just do it. So I was doing that. I was seeing clients. And then all of a sudden I somehow became the EAP manager as well. So instead of going out and doing those on-site jobs, I was being the person answering the phone. So I was answering calls across Australia, sending psychologists out, training psychologists up. It was intense. And I thought I'd made it in life because, you know, I was on this six figure salary. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is it. I got the promotion of my dreams. 
Woohoo! Money! I can buy a house. And I did. And I was just so, it just wasn't me. Sitting behind a desk and answering a phone and being in an office, I'm really good with people. And I think I'm pretty good at leading a team. I've got really good energy in the office. I've got really good energy with people. But I'm like, what am I doing? I studied to be a psychologist. I am, you know, I'm more capable. I can do more than this. I can offer more. I can be out there. And I had to take the decision to take a step back. And I didn't give a shit about the money, excuse the language. I didn't care. I just, I wanted to be free. It bothered me that I couldn't be outside during the day when it was warm and that, you know, all the office rules. And I'm not here to put that down. I think people who do that are incredible. And I definitely think it serves a purpose and it gives you stability or perceived stability because you can lose your job any day. But then I decided to leave that and I decided to pursue private practice and oh, I went back to study. So just before COVID, I was applying for my clinical master's and I got in and I'm, and I thought, you know what? this is the time, like I need, I need to take a step back. So I replaced someone who took my role, et cetera. And then I was just seeing a couple of clients and I really wanted to get into the online space. Why? My vision, dream, and goal has always been to work from a laptop wherever I wanted in the world. My secret dream has always been to live in Bali. I love Bali. And even before it was a thing to live in Bali and it was cool, I really wanted to do it. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to build an online business and I'm going to go. So I started the online business just before COVID. And I thought, you know what, back then Medicare didn't recognize telehealth as a thing. Unless you lived rurally in say Ballarat, you could only claim two sessions on telehealth. And I thought, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to build an online private practice I'm going to pivot. I can see different types of clients. It doesn't have to be on Medicare. And that's the thing. You don't have to see clients on Medicare. You can do EAP counseling. You can do supervision. You can do presentations. There's so much out there than the standard office job of being a psychologist. So when people say, what does a day in the life look like? Yes, I've been in that office. Yes, I've done the counseling from nine to five. I used to do that. I thought that's what you did. And then over time, COVID happened and telehealth became a thing. And I never advertised, but doctors knew me and they would send clients out. They refer to me. And then I had my TikTok kind of go viral with ADHD. And that's when I opened the ADHD assessment clinic. So I actually have a psychologist who runs all the assessments. I don't do them. And she does an amazing job. And so now we can offer that. So I'm always looking, I guess, for gaps or demand or passion projects, and then seeing it through. And that's changed over the years. So my second lesson, gosh, took 21 minutes to get there, is design your ideal life, then build your work around it. Now, this is going to be a tough pill to swallow for many people because many people have the job and then they live around it. But I truly believe to ask yourself today, what is my ideal life? What is my ideal scenario? If I could choose what time I worked, what time I came home, whether I worked from home, whether I worked close to home, whether I worked near the sea, whether I was in a office with people, whether I went out to organizations, like 
What is your ideal life? What does it look like? Is it even here? Is it even, you know, where you're living? Took me ages to figure out that I really didn't like the cold in Melbourne. I just never thought I could do anything about it. How weird is that? We just grow up and just think, oh, this is where I live. The end. But you don't have to live there, right? You can move. You can make those choices. So I believe design your ideal life and then build your job around that. So for example, if your ideal life is, I want to be home early. I want to spend time with the kids. I really love public speaking. Then go in that direction and find something that meets your needs. So for me at the moment, I have slowed down massively. I used to be a workaholic. I used to work really hard all the time, hustle, like hustle culture. I was all part of that slay culture and that's fine, but I believe it's for a season and there's different seasons. I really believe you go through seasons of sacrifice, which was my master's Yeah, And even after seven years, I went back and worked. I did the nine to five. I went back to prison, not back to prison. I went to prison. I had to abide by the rules. I had to have a 30 minute lunch break. I had to have my season of sacrifice, right? And this was only last year or the year before. So even after being quote unquote free, I went back to the to the drawing board. I had to do those hard yards. I had to work at a provisional rate. And I was actually grateful for that because not a lot of people in my course got a paid placement, but I was like, nah, I'm sourcing my own placement. Thank you. And got a paid placement for that. So decide what you want in your life to look like, and then see if you can build your job around it. That's my second lesson of a psychologist. And Now I've got my own online private practice. I do see a couple of clients that I've seen for many years. I don't take new clients. I don't do that anymore. I run food freedom programs. This is completely separate. This is more on the coaching and online course side of things because I'm very passionate about social media. I'm very passionate about coaching. I'm very passionate about group work, but I'm very clear to define this as a separate business. It's a separate passion project. And this is where I write books. This is where I do course designs as well. And I create content. So I create a lot of content for organizations such as the National Women's Fitness Academy, where they train women to be personal trainers. I create other content. If someone's designing a course, like a pilot is a fear of flying course, I'll help with the modules of that. So my day in the life at the moment is very quiet. So I'll give I'll give you a day in the week example, right? So yesterday was Monday and I recorded my podcast in the morning. Then I had three students who I supervised and then I had uh, one client at four and then a half an hour supervision session at night. So that was one, two, three, three and a half hours four and a half hours of Zoom in total, and then my podcast. And that's a great day for me. I like being on Zoom for about four hours, five hours a day, max. I used to, during COVID, I really, I died. I was doing 41 hours a week of Zooms because everyone really needed it. I was doing Zooms for the Department of Education, corporate organizations, like self-care, what to do in the pandemic, 
we were all just on this giant hamster wheel and it was a really busy time and I was super busy. And I think that's how I dealt with the pandemic was just keeping super busy. Now today, a day in the life week, I, from 9.30 to 12.30, I ran a training. I taught an organization, a council organization about mental health in the workplace. So how to deal with mental health in the workplace, how to recognize it, how to have conversations with staff as a manager, how to handle that. We practiced role plays, et cetera. And that's all online. So everything I do at the moment is online. And then I had a 30 minute call. So these are calls that I offer for people to see if they are a good candidate for food freedom, which is a completely separate program that I run to improve your relationship with food, build your self-esteem, body confidence, all of that. And we worked out together that it probably wasn't the best fit for this young person at this time. I felt they needed something a bit more intense or a bit more um, trauma-focused, which I didn't provide. And then I had a call with one of my food freedom uh, attendees who couldn't attend the group Zoom, so we caught up one-on-one, went through their food logs, how they're going with the program, etc. And this person is on the other side of the world. She's in London at the moment. And this is why I love social media. And I love having a completely separate business because I can reach people on the other side of the world. Whereas being a psychologist in Australia, like Medicare is limited. So I'm not working as a psych with these other people across the world, but we are creating an impact. And then at four o'clock, I had a Zoom session with a client and that was my day done. I like eating my dinner at five. I love being done early. I hate working at night. It's not me. My night times I usually for editing my videos because I really believe designing your brain, this is my next lesson. I think we're up to lesson number three or four. Design your day according to your brain. So what that means is when is your brain the most effective? People get so down on themselves because they're like, oh, you know, I can't be productive or I procrastinate. You're probably just not using your brain to its advantage. So for me, I tend to sort of shut down uh, at around like three, four o'clock. So I do any of my harder stuff in the morning or I really love getting sun in the morning. So I'll go to a cafe and that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I am designing a series for the National Women's Academy and I'm writing in their magazine. So I'm going to write up some blogs and then I've got my own supervision tomorrow with my supervisor for my clinical uh, registrar. Then at one o'clock, got a client. And that's pretty much it. Tomorrow is a very quiet day. Same with Thursday. Thursday is my TikTok live day. So I go live on TikTok and this stuff, a lot of this, I don't get paid for. I do it simply because I enjoy it. I I really like it. I like going to a cafe and designing a podcast episode. I like going on TikTok live. I do this because I like it. And yes, I could be seeing clients and making more money but I don't want to. I want to be outside. I want to do what I want to do. To me, that is success. And that is the life I want to live. Then I have a client tomorrow and then I'm recording a podcast with a guest. So I'm having a breathwork expert on the show. And then at five o'clock, I'm seeing a client. So as you can see, it's a really sort of wide mix. Every week is different. Every day is different. I just need to make sure I check my calendar the night before because that dictates when I'm going to go to the gym, when I'm going to go for a walk, all of that. So 
my day in the life is very different. I'm a massive believer in working smarter, not harder. And that's my final lesson is you don't need to work that hard. It just depends on what you want. Obviously with expenses and different things, that's going to vary for people. But for me, I really value not feeling stressed out. I really value not feeling exhausted. I really value feeling happy. So I've designed a life over the course of my life that fosters that. Hasn't always been that way. Yeah. I've definitely had my seasons of sacrifice. I've had my seasons of really hard work. I've had my little seasons of, you know, ooh, credit card debt. But we don't stay there. We recognize it as a season and we figure out what's next. Right now, I feel like I'm in my season of celebration. A lot of things I've planted have come to fruition. And just through um, TikTok and social media, I recorded for Channel 31. I was on Sky News, uh, Daily Mail, News.com. And this is just stuff that's kind of happened, which is really weird because I wrote on my whiteboard, you know, TV, uh, fitness retreat, all these different things hit this many downloads a week. So know what you want, write it down and don't stop until you get there because, and I'm not even close, right? I know I'm speaking like I've made it and I'm the Holy Grail. I'm not even close, um, you know, money wise to what I, what I really want, what I want to achieve, but I actually don't care because I'm really happy. I feel very satisfied and content that I can wake up in the morning and feel appreciative for my life and feel happy because I'm choosing to feel that way despite how the day may go. I'm waking up and I'm saying, today is going to be a good day. I'm alive. My feet are on the ground. I'm breathing. My family's safe. Today's going to be a good day. Because remember, our brain does what we tell it. So tell your brain the stuff you want to happen. I hope you've really enjoyed today's episode on the lessons of a psychologist. If you enjoy these, let me know and I'll make it a series. This was a longer than planned episode, but hey, I brought out some magic in the nighttime. That is unusual for me. I'm going to go drink my magnesium and head to bed. I'm on an early sleeping routine, which I'm absolutely loving. Just a reminder, get your sleep in. And a massive thank you to everyone who has listened and stayed to the end of this episode. A massive shout out to you. If you've enjoyed the episode, please like, save, follow, subscribe, comment, review, everything. And I'll see you next time and know that you are amazing and I'm proud of you today. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.